Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Reset Podcast. I'm your host, Laura Munoz, CEO of the experience agency, DeepLash. Each week, I bring on a different business leader who's doing some game-changing work. And as we're in this really unique time during COVID, when we're all stuck at home, the challenges leaders face are immeasurable. So it's always great to have fantastic conversations with key business leaders, which is why I'm super psyched to have Mita Malik, who's head of diversity, inclusion, and cross-cultural marketing at Unilever. And we're going to have a great conversation about how a huge, huge company like Unilever is navigating these um, uncertain times. Take a listen. Hey, Mita. Hi, how are you? Thanks so much for having me today. Sure, sure thing. You know, just hanging out, stuck inside, as always. <laughs> always. I think we're in week 17. Yeah, I'm entering week 16, entering week 17. I have never counted, yeah. but you just saying it out loud now just breaks my heart into a million yeah. pieces. Thanks. <laughs> Actually, it's ending week 16, day five. Yeah, that's just, just so you know. Oh, specifics even more. Thanks. Okay, even though we are stuck inside for 16 plus weeks, the podcast does not change. And the first question does not change. So, Mita, what was your first job? My first job in high school was I was an assistant wedding photographer. And one of our neighbors was the secretary for the wedding photographer. And I used to babysit for her kids. And she thought it would be a great idea to help get me this official job, which I was super excited about. So this meant I carried all the equipment, the tripods, the lighting, all, all of this stuff that was probably heavier than I am and hard to carry. I also had never been to a Christian wedding. I grew up Hindu. And so most of them were Christian weddings that I would attend. And it didn't end so well for me because I ended up being in a lot of the pictures because I was too busy watching what was happening. <laughs> I was just I even at a oh very curious about culture. And this, this, this gentleman who ran the photography business would be like, I don't know what to do with her. She's in most of the pictures because she's not paying attention to my direction because I was just mesmerized by being in a church. I had never been in a church. I had never seen white, like a white dress live or people going down an aisle. I was just mesmerized. So I wasn't very good at it. Hey, you know, you learned what you weren't good at, which is really important when thinking about your career. And be like, yeah, that's cool, but not for me. So there was, there was a good learning there. There was a good learning. Yeah. I mean, I went to a bunch of weddings and then he just stopped calling me back. <laughs> so, which I didn't, I never got officially fired, but I sort of. Kind of got the hint. Yes. It was a great job though. It was really, it was really cool. Awesome. Sounds fantastic. Um, okay, so we go from bad photo assistant uh, <laughs> as your first job. How do we get to be sitting here having this conversation in our virtual cocktail? What was that journey like? Well, starting at the very, very beginning. I won't start at the very beginning, but I will say as a child, I was obsessed with commercials. When people actually watched commercials, I loved going to the grocery store with my mom and looking at like the Keebler Elf and Snack Crackle Pop on Rice Krispie Treats. And I was just fascinated by storytelling and marketing. And so that really has driven me all my life, the power of storytelling. And 
growing up in this country as a first generation Indian American, my parents are from India. And as a, as a woman of color, I didn't see myself reflected in a lot of the stories, which I'm sure you can relate to in terms of products, stories, media, what was out there. And so that's something that's really driven me for most of, if not all of my career. And so I spent most of my career in consumer product goods. And I was asked by my CEO four and a half years ago to take this assignment to lead diversity and inclusion and cross-cultural marketing for Unilever North America. And I hesitated because I had been a marketer my entire career. And it was my younger brother who reminded me and said, but this has always been at the core of who you are, not just as an inclusive leader, but think about all the ways in which you've led the businesses you've touched. And I was like, hmm, younger brothers, sometimes they're right. And he reminded me when I started off in Avino, I was fighting to include black models for one of the first times ever in a, in a multimedia campaign we were doing. And then I was at Avon helping create color cosmetics and was like, well, who are these products for? Because they don't show up on my skin. And then being at Unilever and helping to sign Viola Davis, who is as amazing as you would think she is, to help turn around that business for Vaseline and be, be our healing ambassador. So it was something that drew, drew me my entire career. And so to take on this role and be a change maker for the company and help with our inclusion journey has just been a privilege. Wow. And, you know, I'm sure that there's just so much. And obviously, you know, in this very unique climate that we're in, that went from, okay, we're in the middle of a pandemic, people are losing their jobs, and then we have this firestorm of racial unrest. How, as a brand, um, and, you know, internally, are you sort of dealing with all of this? And, and, like, making sure that your employees are okay, and, uh, and, and how you show up to the rest of the world? It's not easy. It's not easy at all. And the murder, the killing of George Floyd was what I would say, and many would say, was a flame that was burning in this country for many, many, many years, centuries that just re-exploded. And so for us, it is, I mean, one of the big things I say is I enter any conversation. I enter as, I enter this space, today's conversation as a diversity and inclusion leader, as a woman of color. I identify with the black community. I don't identify as black. And that's an important distinction as a person of color when I enter these conversations. And one of the first things, you know, we've been talking about at Unilever and I've been talking about to anyone who will listen is that it is not the job of the black community, your black colleagues, your black friends, your black employees to educate you on what is happening in this country today. It is not their job. And I think one of the things, and so it's our job as allies to go from listening, learning to advocates, to actually making change and helping to dismantle these institutions of racism that have been embedded in our country since the foundation. And what I would, what I would say and what suddenly, what recently has come to me is if I go back to being a marketer and a storyteller, storytelling is one of the oldest human traditions. It is so powerful across nationalities, cultures, language. And Many of us, most of us want to hear a story from a primary source. 
And in this case, I would say, at what cost do you want to continue to hear sources, stories from primary sources? And so if I call a Black friend or a Black colleague and ask them to explain to me why Black lives matter and why all lives don't matter, what I have to understand is every time I hear that story from them, I am putting, putting them through trauma over and over again that they are re-experiencing trauma of an incident story that they have faced. And so to what cost do I constantly need to go to primary sources when there's so much out there to educate ourselves? And I say, if you can find the recipe for an amazing banana bread or how to, how to, how to do the best messy bun on the internet, you can learn about the history of our country, the history of slavery. You can learn how to be anti-racist. That's what Google's for, right? And so I think that's what, that's the biggest thing I'm trying to really move um, allies on right now. Um, that is the best explanation of how white people can get, the, get their stuff together that I have heard in quite a long time. Thank you oh, thank so you. much for that. <laughs> Because it's like, guess, it is a yeah. huge compliment. Because here's the thing, like, I mean, obviously, you, I'm sure you probably realize, like, my emails and texts and DMs have been like, oh, Laura, I'm so sorry. Help me. Um, and, you know, for every one of those I do, I'm like, you know, actually, I'm exhausted by it all. Um, but it's like, you know, some of you figured out how to do sourdough starters and make banana bread in your, and, like, all this stuff in your house while you're home. So you, you, and you never made, never made bread in your life beforehand. So same premise. It's like, if you can figure out the sourdough starter, you can yeah. figure out anti-racism. It's the same skill set. It's called reading and then absorbing and then doing. So, you know, I think that's the thing that needs to happen right now where, you know, especially white people who are in business are, have to understand that like, this is a heavy burden to, to put on top of black people just sort of like not only hear your like heartbreaking sorrow of suddenly realizing that they were black and that the world is not the world is not equal but also like also asking them to fix it it's like yeah it's actually not our job to fix it it's your job uh, like, like we've experienced yeah. it yeah i also would say at the same time what i coach people in my you know community on is that you also want to be you, you also want to check in on your Black friends, colleagues, and, and those in, in the Black community. And checking in, which I often do, is just, hey, I'm thinking about you, I'm here. It's not, explain to me what Black Lives Matter, or explain to me why Blackout Tuesday was a Black square. There's a difference in that, right? So being a yeah. support system and letting people know, you are grieving, I can't imagine what you're going through, I'm not Black, but I want you to know, I see you, I hear you, and I'm here. And, and then there's a distinction between that, which we should be doing because this is, that is just being human. And then the flip side, the other side is when you start to call black colleagues, black friends and ask them specific questions, which you can Google to be honest. Yeah, yeah I think I, 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 I've, I've said, like, I appreciate the check-ins um, because it's it is, it is nice to hear um, because, and, and it come from all kinds of places that are so surprising where I'm like, wow, really? Okay, great. <laughs> um, but I think, yeah, you know, it's the steps in this, it's, it's not going to be solved in five minutes at all. And so 
the idea that you can magically, you know, this this will all go away in five minutes is just not the move. And so instead, it's about how to, how does this actually become meaningful and lasting change. And so for a brand, for a huge conglomerate like Unilever, like what are there some initiatives that you all are sort of taking place like internally or externally to you know put you know, put your stake in the ground going forward? Yeah, we've done a lot over the years. I mean, one of the things that I'm really passionate about is is really, you know, you can do unconscious bias training. Everyone does that. Clearly, that's not enough. Mm-hmm. One of the things I'm really passionate about is in my role, diversity of thought doesn't happen without diversity of rep- representation. So that's the workforce piece. But the cross-cultural marketing piece is how do your brands show up in the marketplace? How do your products and services show up in the marketplace? Are they with purpose? Are they authentic? Are they serving the communities they're meant to serve? And who else can you be serving? So uh, in 2018, I created a series called the Cross-Cultural Marketing Series with a company called Language Culture Worldwide out of Chicago. And the whole premise of that series is to increase the cultural agility and competency of marketers. And the first in the series is understanding the experience of being black in America today. It's a four and a half hour session. It's taught by an ally who talks about the mistakes they've made with the community. And it's taught by someone who's from the community. And the first part of the course is really looking at the institution of slavery, which many of us actually never were taught in school, never studied, understanding the modern day repercussions, themes of colorism, body integrity, dehumanization of blacks for centuries and then you go into content you look at lots and lots of content that's out in the universe now through the lens of the black consumer and we've done that in a series we've done lgbtq we've done understanding the experience of being latinx last year we rolled out muslim experience we've trained over 5,000 people both globally and locally and people ask me okay so what are the results 5,000 people what are the results i think a lot of the work that you see now that's coming into the marketplace or has over the last few years, whether that's the, the Dove Crown Coalition Act, Dove Men Plus Care, and the stance we've taken for paternity leave, uh, Tresemme Women Leading the Way. There's so many different examples. And what I would say is one of the things that I learned being in marketing and growing up in beauty, it would, it would be you, know, you have your data you have your insights and you have your action. But then it would sort of be like, you know, Mita, but trust your gut. And what I would say to you is my gut is a product of my life experiences and that's really dangerous because that is where bias lies. And so how do you retrain the guts of marketers? And so of course now during, during the pandemic, during COVID, a lot of the great content that we have, we're making virtual. That's one of the big things I'm, we're doing that we're proud of. That's awesome. And I think, you know, that's the thing. I think it's not just, okay, I want to support, but like, how can I fix the structures? Um, And so like you all, you know, being behind the Crown Act is just incredible. And, you know, I think for a lot of folks, they don't even realize that this was a thing. What was, uh, how, how did you guys approach something like that, where it's like, not only do we want to stand with Black women, but like, we actually want to help make a law. Yeah, I mean, um, the credit goes to A.C. Eggleston Bracey, who's the head of uh, beauty personal care and, and the work that she's done along with our teams to spearhead this. But I, you know, it goes back to exactly what you just asked me is like, what, what does the brand stand for? And then what can they do about it? And a, a, as you know, and so many of us know, is that there is so much 
hair discrimination and bias that black women in particular face in workspaces, workplaces, and not just black women, black men. We all saw the horrific incident, I believe it was a year to two years ago, where the, the young gentleman who was wrestling in New Jersey was forced to have his hair cut in front of everyone on the wrestling mat in order to continue in the, in the tournament. So it's not just about workspaces, workplaces, it's also what's happening in our schools. And so that was something that um, Dove co-founded the Crown Coalition with a number of other key partners. And we've had seven states pass legislation to make it illegal to discriminate on the basis of hair. And so there's so much education. There's the legislation piece, but so much education that also has to happen for people to understand that experience as well. Yeah, I mean, I, it's, it's just insane. And it's, it's one of those things where I think, you know, a, co a company like the only sort of bringing that to the forefront is so key because unless you know a black person, for a lot of people in this country, they're like, what do you mean there's hair discrimination? Or unless it becomes like that viral story where the guy, the young young man with the dreadlocks, had to cut his dreadlocks for the for that wrestling tournament, it's like you don't understand like the everyday sort of this trauma and discrimination that happens to people in the black community, and that and when there's a brand who actually says, actually, you know what, we're gonna put our stake in the ground, it means so 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 very much. Absolutely, and I think this also becomes a big part of what an ally needs to do, is to understand and listen and grow empathy for experiences that aren't your own. And I always say I was forced into a world that doesn't shut up. I was actually painfully shy and introverted growing up in my <laughs> entire life. I knew I wanted to lead, but it was Mita, speak louder, speak faster, stand up in front of the room. Then you're in corporate. Make sure you ask questions. Make sure people know you're there. Make sure you plan and replan. Make sure you push. And then when it comes to something like allyship, a lot of the first step is listening and learning. And so if a, uh, a friend of mine is telling me about how she, as a Black woman, has been discriminated in workspaces, workplaces, my job is to listen. My job is now not to insert my own experiences and create a false equivalency. I had hair down to my knees growing up, which is not uncommon for Indian culture. It was in a single braid. And I was bullied both heavily and physically growing up um, for being one of three families of color where we were. And I, I was bullied for my hair, but that's a false equivalency. That's not the same as what my black friend is facing. And so a job of an ally is just, if you don't understand what it means to be a black woman in corporate America today and be discriminated on the basis of your hair, all you need to do is stop and listen if someone wants to share that, share that experience with you because that person is not expecting you to problem solve in that moment and to action plan. And that's why I think sometimes we're so uncomfortable having these conversations because as leaders, we want to, we're all trained to problem solve. And guess what? If we could have problem solved this, this would have been solved centuries ago. Exactly. So it's, it's this idea that we enter into conversations as an ally when somebody wants to share a racist experience they've had with us that we'll, we'll leave that conversation with non-closure. We will leave it without feeling like we have not solved anything. But the biggest thing you did was you honored that person's story and honored the truth and accepted the truth as part of your learning. Well, that's the thing. It's like, you know, 
if it's not your experience, you can't, no one's gonna expect you to understand all of it, but also, not, also understand that it's not, it, it's not a, okay, if I do, if this, then that, then that gives me results. Like it's far more complex. It's far more deep seated um, than just a typical problem that you would have to solve if you were a marketer. No, absolutely. And it's also, as I say, it's not the time to be an investigative journalist. It's not the time, <laughs> right? If somebody is sharing a racist encounter or experience they've had with me as an ally, my job is not to say, well, meat is really nice. Are you sure? Right. Well, did you, did you think that happened? Did you misunderstood? Yes. Right. That's not the time. It's not the time to be an investigative journalist. It's the time to accept what they're telling you as true. And, and they have trusted you. There's huge psychological safety, right? If somebody, if I come to you and share something that's happened to me, I trust you. That's like the first step. There's something about a relationship. I trust you and I want to share with you. And you need to honor that and not ask me questions and not try to insert false equivalencies of your own experience and not try to problem solve. I think that's where, that's why we're so uncomfortable with these conversations, because I think it goes against everything, at least for me, that I've been taught as a leader. Yeah, well, it's, it's you know, I think, you know, I was reading something uh, somewhere where it's like, you know, your comfort, your, you know, your, co your comfort isn't, isn't really the, isn't really the focus right now. It's about exposing the, the truth. And so if that makes you feel kind of icky, sorry, that's actually part of it. This is the deal. This isn't the most comfortable conversation to have with you, period. So you feeling, oh my gosh, I'm being attacked or, oh my gosh, like, I can't, I can't believe this would have happened. It's, yeah, no. The first thing is to take yourself out of the conversation and your experience and just listen and learn and then move forward. Absolutely. You have to center the conversation on that person's experience. It's not about you at all as an ally. So, you know, we're in this really unusual time in business, obviously with regard to racial unrest. So there's all these kinds of up and down challenges. What would be a challenge that you said you have in your career that you were kind of like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? And then found your way through it. A business challenge or a personal challenge or you're leaving either it one. It's up to you actually. Well, I would say that one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about being an ally for anyone who wants me to be an ally and also just the nature of my role, that is what it is. And it's more than ally, it's being an advocate. Is one of my first experiences out of graduate school was I was started my career in marketing, was doing well, thought I was doing well. And one of my managers decided that he couldn't pronounce my full name. So my full name is Madhumita Malik. And I've struggled with my name over the course of my life because people can't pronounce it, uh, at least from the Western view. And so I had truncated it to Mita for most of my life until when I went to graduate school, I decided I wanted to reclaim it as I entered corporate. And so it was Madhumita Malik. And the, the manager at the time decided that couldn't pronounce Madhumita, which is fine. I gave the option of Mita and decided he would call me Muhammad for the time that we worked together. True story. And thought it was funny. 
And I'm not the person I am today. That was a long time ago. And I didn't have confidence. I was sort of blown away that this kept happening in meetings and that it would be shouted down the hall and he would laugh and others would laugh. And that went on for months and I finally ended up leaving. And when I look at that experience and I look at experiences of my childhood where I was bullied both heavily and physically, I always ask myself, where were the other people? Like the person who is inserting, putting out the microaggression, which is a form of racism, that person is the person doing it. But where are the peers? Where Mm -hmm. are the other people that see this happening that say, no, why are you calling her by another name? Why aren't you just calling her by her her, her name and the options that she's given you? And why do you think this is funny and tolerable? So that to me, and so that experience, I would say to you, I didn't, I wasn't able to stand up for myself. And I ended up moving on. But what I would say to you is I do everything in my power now to stand up when I see things that are happening, but also encouraging others. Like it's about empowering the bystander, right? It is, we work so hard and care so much about the cultures that we create and no culture is perfect, but we have to be agents of change and protect that culture when we see things happening. And so that to me, that experience along with many others really, really continues to drive me because I wish I, I wish I could have spoken up for myself and I didn't. And you know what? I wish someone would have been an ally or advocate for me back then. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, that is one horrible, um, but you know, two, you know, lit a fire in you to, to, to to never be that person and so i think that's it's amazing what you've been able to turn that into um and be an incredible ally and full disclosure if i had been there i'd punch him in the face for you because <laughs> <laughs> like, allies are perfect right like i'm not perfect i'm every, we all we're all human yeah we're, we're human we're human we learn and we're trying right i think and that's what i say to allies, especially in this moment. I'm an ally for the Black community, an advocate. I'm doing the best I can. I'm running as fast as I can. We're all trying to make impact as fast as we can, and it's not fast enough. But part of it is there's, there's the listening we talked about. There's the learning, which you have to constantly do. It doesn't end. But then, it's, then it is about when that comment is made, racist, sexist, homophobic, wherever it is, at work, at church, temple, neighborhood bar, anywhere, right? The bar, when we used to go to the bar. (laughs) Oh, 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 yeah, what are those? Virtual happy happy hour, I don't know. But, you know, you have to be the one to say something. You can't sit in silence and let it be complicit. And so there's many levels of whether you say it in person at that moment whether you pull the person aside. There's many ways to intervene, but you can't let that go because that is advocacy. That is being an ally. I mean, bottom line, that is being an ally. I don't understand anyhow folks don't understand that. Like that's literally what this is. 
it's like if you see something i mean it's like the new york thing if you see something say something that's kind of yes. the, the premise yeah. around racism like or sexism or homophobia like that's you say something like don't let that stand uh you know i can't i mean i can tell stories for days but like it's you know i'm always amazed when those kids when those kids who stand up for their other their other classmates and you're like okay the future's going to be okay because i see a culture of that shift that the younger generation is like okay i do need to stand up for my classmates or i do like I sh i'm not going to put my black friend first i'll stand in front of them so that the cop when the cop comes yeah. like yeah because like they can see it so um and I would say to that end is that, you know, trust your instincts. Like if something makes you uncomfortable as an ally, you are probably right. And I will say mm -hmm. to you, this happens many times in, in our life. You like I, that story I shared with you, I, I don't do it as often, but I rewind that in my head and like why I didn't say something and why I didn't stand up for myself. What I would say is to any allies or advocates who are witnessing things it's never too late to go back. If in the mm -hmm. moment you didn't say something and it still is bothering you, there is still a way I promise for you to go back and open that conversation. And I like to lead my life thinking that 99% of people have really great intentions or good intentions. And sometimes the intent doesn't match the impact, right? And there is 1%, obviously, horrible, inexcusable behavior. An example I would give you is someone who mispronounces my name. When we got to know each other, you asked me how to pronounce my name, right? Which is, the, which is wonderful because you want to honor people's names and identity. And if someone mispronounces it and they keep mispronouncing it, if no one ever corrected them, I don't, it wasn't necessarily intentional. And sometimes I have to be the one to say, yeah, you're mispronouncing my name, which is always awkward when they've done it's it. It's awkward, first. right. Yeah, Rather no, than friend intervening or an ally pulling the person aside and saying, hey, I don't think you meant this, but it's not Mida, it's Mida. And I've noticed in the last few meetings you've said Mida and the person's like, oh my God, right? And maybe I didn't feel comfortable because it's my name to actually tell the person that they were mispronouncing it, right? So I think that if you can, and this is the hard part of my job, which is the hard part of anyone doing inclusion work, is helping people understand the intent versus impact and helping educate people on things that are really difficult and sometimes things they never even saw or noticed. Yeah, because they, like, they had no idea. I'm like, yeah, okay, this is, okay, now you didn't know, so, but now you do. So going forward, just how you respond. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, so, so important and so needed from so many folks. Okay, so we're in this really crazy time. It is unreal how everyone's had to adapt to a whole new world on many, many levels on top of everything happening at the same time. How in the world are you managing your self-care? Okay, I keep joking with people. I'm going to write about this. Please don't ask me to put on a face mask. <laughs> Same. I don't have time. Listen, I, everyone I say, everyone is on their own COVID-19 journey. And I joke and I don't joke. Behind the Instagram pictures of banana bread that you've baked and how you have 
redone your walls and redid your place and drive by birthday parties. You don't know what's happening in people's homes, people's lives, mm-hmm. and the thing people are in. And I have a five-year-old and a seven-year-old. I have a partner. We live in Jersey City and 1,500 square feet. We're both working a ton. I am like petrified, exhausted. I don't even, I'm like, I thought I was a mediocre teacher. I am a terrible, terrible summer camp counselor. We are all trying to just uh, survive the summer. Uh, But I also have the privilege to work from home. I have my health, have my family, I have food and shelter. So you keep these things in perspective, especially as we have a lot of extended family in India and friends in other parts of the world. So that's just, just trying to stay grounded. I take it day by day, take it day by day. But self-care, you asked me that question. I try to do things with my children. So I've been coloring and drawing with them. Awesome. I write a lot. Writing is my therapy. So I'm somebody who, you know, in the early hours or late at night, I like to read. I'll be posting things on LinkedIn on things I'm learning as an ally, what I'd like to share with others. And then just writing about things, whether it's my inclusion work or just what it's like to be a working mother during this time and it's tough yeah I mean everyone has their own COVID landscape you know I yesterday for the first time since this all happened went outdoors for an outdoor dinner (laughs) and it was the weirdest thing basically the tables are all set apart and like everything kind of comes to you covered, everyone's in gloves, and then you can wear a mask, you can take off your mask at the table with, the, with your friend, and I'm just like, this is how we're gonna do stuff now? Really? <laughs> this is how I'm gonna get to go outside and like hang out with my friends? And you just sort of shake your head and go, okay, well, we just have to adapt and learn and take care of ourselves the best way we can. And if this is the only way I can see a friend of mine, then this is what we're gonna have to do. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's just, it's just wild. It's so, so wild. Um, and if anyone gets too close, you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> They're like, oh. Like my friend legit screams. Someone walked a little bit too close to her and she legit screamed. <laughs> oh, it's hard. We're all adapting to this new normal and there's gonna be another normal after this. It just keeps, I just feel like there's different chapters that are coming that we're going to be, we're all navigating through. And so, like I say, this is the time, treat people with extra kindness. You just don't know what's happening in people's lives and you don't know how people are handling and adjusting to all of this. I, you know, my view, as we've talked about, I talk a lot about being a working mother with two young children and there are many people who are alone right now. And I know in some parts of the country, things are lifting. It seems like infections are surging again. So it's a back and forth. But, you know, I I just, I remember reading this Washington Post article not too long ago about women who are alone and talking about how she remembered the last time someone had touched her. And this is what this article is profiling different women who are on their own. And so you just don't know what people are going through. So just not to place judgment and just to be extra kind. My journey is not any more difficult, any more easier or any more complicated than yours. It's just different. Exactly. Just different. Like we all have to figure this out. And I'm like, just be nice to people. I Just chill, extra, everyone. Extra, extra nice. Extra. Just chill. Just chill. It's all good. 
because this is not easy and you like people's companies are gone up and down and you know you don't know what's happening with people's families or internally or if you're if they're alone and they can't go see anyone or someone can't even go see them to wait out the window like it's this is a very difficult time and just be good to people like please (laughs) absolutely uh, so the last question that I've asked uh, um, as part of uh, this series of interviews is if you have a give and or an ask to the audience. My give and ask is the same, which is just pay it forward. I, I have been so lucky in my career. And actually someone who worked for me a while ago said to me, you're not lucky you've earned it. I was like, oh, interesting. Okay. Luck, luck and earned, right? I, I believe mm-hmm. in both. I have had so many people open doors for me. The reason how I met you was through uh, Jen De Silva, who's been so kind introducing me to people. And there's so many people in my life who continue to do that. I want to meet people who are living their purpose, trying to find their purpose, trying to make impact. And I want others to make those introductions, right? Just take an extra step. If someone reaches out to you about job at the, a job at your company, take a moment to read their resume. Take a moment to get on a call with them. Take a moment to submit it for them. Just the really small things. And just think of, I just think about how many people have done so much for me in my career. I wouldn't have gotten here without a whole support system of my family, of mentors, career sponsors. And so just be that for someone else, because I think so often we are looking, we're all looking for what we're going to do next. Who's our mentor? Who's our sponsor? What's my next promotion? What's my next assignment? And I would ask of you, who are you doing that for? Awesome. Um, So good. And so true. It's like just I mean, seriously, lift as you climb. Just keep it moving as you go. Love that. And Love that. Um, that's the way to make this all work. I mean, Mia, I could keep talking to you forever. And uh, we, we now, and you, you, we, you know, we have a wine and pizza date whenever yeah. we can actually go outside and have pizza and wine. You always, <laughs> I'll show up with gloves and a mask. We'll have it. We'll do it. Social distancing. Do it. Listen. Wine. Like, listen, we have to I mean, small businesses. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, listen, if you, if you, whenever you come into the city, I live nearby Caste, which is the most incredible Neapolitan pizza. Um, and they just opened an outdoor, basically built an entire outdoor restaurant in front of their indoor restaurant. It's huge. And I'm like, this is actually a good idea because it's summertime. So you have a standing, you have a standing invitation to come on. That come might and, be self care. We go. That's my self care. I just gotta get my husband to watch the kids. There we go. Bingo. And hey, listen, I'm just over the Brooklyn Bridge, so easy peasy. Awesome. <laughs> um, but it's such a delight to have you on the show, and I, I tr- loved, loved, loved your insights and your um, and, and your shares. I think it will do a tremendous amount to help a lot of folks, especially leaders in business who are like, I don't know what to do. Uh, so I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so very much. No, thank you for including me. This was a wonderful conversation. Thank you. Awesome. And so we'll put some information so you can find, you can follow Mia on social media and read some of her incredible writing. Uh, She's a fantastic human, as you just heard. And that is our show.